0: Hey, Adam Smolcombe here, lead pastor of VIVE Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. Matthew chapter six, verses five through six. Matthew chapter six, verses five through six. And this is what Jesus says to people that are on a mountain trying to figure out life and the meaning of godliness. He says, and when you pray, you, when when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, again, the, the basic level of hermeneutics, in the understanding of the Bible is that whenever there's repetition, something's really important. So Jesus again says, uh, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who sees in secret. Other versions say who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, this is another installment in our Heaven Now series, and I wanna to speak to you guys from the topic this morning. Proximity enables activity. Proximity enables activity. Pray with me, Holy Spirit, have your way. Amen? Oh, y'all thought it was gonna go long, huh? Come on, I gotta get back to San Jose. My baby's getting dedicated. Find, high, find five people, high five them, say what up as you take a seat. Thank you, worship team. Blessing upon blessing. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife and I we were driving to church, and one of our captains, who's a dear friend of ours named Asia, was in the back, and I was listening to the song "Eden" by Vive Worship for the intention of getting into the presence of God. My wife is distracting, you know. She's <laughs> when I'm trying to listen to the Lord before Sunday, she's talking to Asia in the back, just taking away from the potency of God. Tough joke. And so, <laughs> as I was engaging in this amazing song, as Deb was leading me in worship, my, my, my wife brought up a term that I never heard before. And it was the word Fuchi. Fuchi. I was shocked. I said, What is this Fuchi that you speak of? I thought it was another brand to break off a of Gucci. I said, My gosh, is there a Fuchi? Someone's out here trying to swag a Jack Gucci. What's going on? And what she was actually talking about was Fucci is pretty much street terms or urban terms for the fake Gucci. You put an F on it. Fucci. Gucci, Fucci. Now, I was in Greece, man. They were trying to sell me a whole lot of Fucci. <laughs> trying to sell me Fulci and Fabana, Fugo false. Some of you Vox Jenners, i see you at conference wearing your Fupreme. <laughs> the fake stuff. Walking around in your feesies—they're not real. <laughs> Have a great Sunday, okay? Now, now, now uh, it took me on a journey because I'm a preacher, so everything becomes a sermon. So I went on a journey. I'm like, man, how are you able to tell like the real stuff or it's the fake stuff? Like, how can I even walk into a store and know is this the real Gucci? Well, I had a kind of a random thought pop in my head, and actually had to do with money. A, a good friend of mine. Uh, Got a job at Wells Fargo several years ago being a bank teller. And my first question was, of course, I'm like, so how do you know if the money's real? How do, is there like a training that they take you through to get you familiar with counterfeit money? Tell me about that. I want to know about the fake stuff. And my, my friend said something that was very interesting. He's like, Chase, number one, we have machines. <laughs> He's like, but, but number two, what's interesting is I can tell fake money versus real money instantly. And I was like, well, how? He's like, well, I'm around the real things so much that when that which is fake is put in front of me, it's very easy to tell the difference. Now, when we're talking about fake money and, 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 and fake brands, that's one thing, but it's entirely another to talk about a fake life. And what God desires is for his people to not live fake, but to live real, real lives, and I would submit to every single one of you, theologically, that, <laughs> that our lives do not become real until we experience Jesus. Let me put it another way. I think that your life before Jesus is fake and inauthentic at best. Because how can I know my design lest I know my designer? How can I know what I'm created to do whether or not, unless I know my creator? And the reason why God doesn't like pride is because there's nothing more awkward than Mona Lisa taking credit for her painting. And you are an image bearer of God and there's nothing more awkward than you taking credit for you. It's just it's just a little bit a little bit awkward. And so what God desires for us is to live very real authentic lives. And what we've learned in this collection of talks is that the presence of God, or maybe a better way to say it, the the presence of heaven is not something that God wants to be foreign to us, but he desires for it to be familiar. Even to the point where in Philippians chapter 3, Paul actually lets the church know that our citizenship isn't even on earth. But our citizenship is actually heaven. And so we do live differently. And I feel like some of you in this room, you just need to divinely accept the fact that you're different. I think one of the reasons why the church lacks potency is we're trying to be so much like the world that the world can't tell the difference when they come into the church. And I think it's so essential that we just have an understanding that that word sanctification means set apart. And as believers, we live differently. We bring heaven to earth at the end of the day. We're just passing through. We're aliens and foreigners to this land. But while we are here, we can see heaven invade earth ultimately for the glory of God. Again, we are called to not be foreign. To God's presence but familiar with God's presence now the methodology by which God wants his presence to be familiar is in two ways primarily number one you will experience heaven now in the presence of God in two ways primarily and they are both corporately and privately corporately and privately these are the ways that we've been intended to experience the presence of God. And what I'm learning in today's society, in our Western culture, is that people love God in private, but they don't want to worship him in corporate. I believe that there's actually a strategic attack on the church of Jesus Christ in the West where people think that they have the wisdom, the wherewithal, and the foreknowledge to walk with God by themselves. But when you actually begin to study the words of Paul in the epistles, something that will become abundantly clear is that Paul is using plurality in his language because there's an assumption that you're in community. And so the corporate gathering holds potency that you, never, that you will never have individually. It's for this reason that the psalmist writes, My heart was made glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. It's for this reason that the book of Proverbs lets us know that in the counsel of many there is wisdom. And you can tell when somebody is living foolishly when they think that they can make major decisions in their life without the counsel of the saints. And, and it's, it's not just the, 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 the corporate gathering that has potency in regards to calling and purpose, but it's also our worship. I don't worship the way that we just worship the law. Because magnification is taking place. It's for this reason that David invites the church into magnification. He says, oh, come magnify God with me. Let's look at him closer. He's not changing, but the way that we're seeing seeing him is changing. But what's so awesome is that he says, come do it with me. Because your God concept is different than mine. But when I get in proximity to your God concept, mine becomes strengthened. Because for some of you at the altars, he was healer. But for the person next to you, he was restored. For, For some of you, he was restored. But for the person next to you, he was being provider in that moment. And so what I want us to understand is that the corporate gathering holds major, major potency. And it's one of the ways that we can experience heaven now. So you best believe that the enemy is going to do his best to have you become casual about the gathering because it's actually supernatural. How do we know? Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, Paul says, and, uh, excuse me, the author of Hebrews, whoever here, she is, says, And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. I love that. Don't neglect the meeting. And what's blowing my mind, not not, not as a pastor, as a Christian. What's blowing my mind is how easily people miss the meeting. Football's on. I'm not going to the meeting. I'm tired. I'm not going to the meeting. It's raining. I almost didn't come to the meeting. There is a way that we will experience heaven now when it's in the corporate gathering. But God doesn't only want us to meet corporately with him, but he desires for us to meet Privately with him. Not only corporately, but privately. Now, your life will become dry and your life will become mundane very, very quickly if you are relying on the corporate gathering a couple times a week to be the measure by which you find divine satisfaction. And what can sometimes happen in Christendom is we think that the purpose of the gathering is for you to be filled. And so suddenly Sundays for you become more about what God can do for you rather than what you're called to do for God. Now, the reason why this is problematic is because it's bad ecclesiology. That's a big word for it. it's a bad biblical understanding of the church. The reason why I love our lead pastors is that they understand it deeply more than I, I, I didn't know it until I actually started coming here. The purpose of this gathering is for you to be in the presence of the saints and worship corporately, but more so, according to Ephesians 4, it's for you to be equipped so that you can go out in your world and do the work of ministry. And as we meet with God, not just on Sunday, but we meet with God on Monday, we encounter his presence on Tuesday. We wake up and walk with him on Wednesday. We get a revelation on Thursday. We still see somebody healed on Friday. And on Saturday, we wake up and we give him glory. Suddenly, Sundays are not a means for you to be filled, but you're coming here out of the overflow. Now, now, what I don't want to neglect, I want to be careful, I don't want to neglect the fact that you will have broken seasons and there will be moments in your life where you'll come to church like, man, God, it's it's not easy to be here and he'll do something supernatural in your life. But I think the reason why some of us, we feel spiritually dry, we feel mundane, we, we're saying things verbiage like, oh, I'm just in a dry season, this is just difficult, is because the corporate gathering has become the place. where you get close to God. The closest you are to God is when you're here. And I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just here to let you know that the blood of Jesus is so much more beautiful than that. The, the, The blood of Jesus is so beautiful that you have unlimited access to God. And because you have unlimited access to God, you can experience him not only in this building, but in your car. Not only in your car, but in your room. Because wherever you go, because God doesn't fill buildings anymore, that's Old Testament. He fills people wherever you go, you are carrying the presence of God. And so with that being said, we are called to become familiar with the presence of God, not only corporately, but privately. And again, I want to hone in on privately because what was happening in the context of this culture is people were praying to God publicly and they had wrong intentions and wrong motives. You see, the pagans believed wrongfully that repetition was the key to getting God's attention. And so they'd be out in the city streets just habba yabba dabba gaba gaba. That's my tongue. They'd be out in the streets just calling on God. God, move, God, move, God, move. Have your way, have your way, have your way, have your way. And what they were doing was they were competing for attention. They were competing to get the attention of God. And what I've learned in my short time of walking with Jesus is that I already have it. The question is never, do I have God's attention? The question is always, does he have mine? And so it's not a question this morning of, do do we have God's attention? You absolutely do because he's omniscient, therefore being all-knowing. You have the attention of heaven. But what I've learned is that sometimes Sundays just become a place where we somewhat get refocused and reshaped and remolded. And then we go back into our money doing the same thing, living the same way, having the same struggles. And then what we begin to do is we become critical of the gathering. Because what it once did for us, it no longer does. And you know you're being critical when you start judging the worship. You're like, they didn't play my song today. That's not Waymaker. Another new song? Honey, I don't know these lyrics. Oh, great. Another song about the promises of God that are yes and amen. Let it rain. I've heard that one before. You, you become critical of the gathering because it's a means for you to be satisfied. And what used to be sacred, you're now critical of. And the reason why you're doing that is because God is so kind to be like, you, I didn't create you to just be in the gathering and have that be the very thing that enables your activity for me. I created you to be in the gathering and to gather with me every day I want to graduate you from not only meeting corporately but also to meeting with me for yourself because church there's some things that God is not going to speak to you in this room it's going to be in your room now God is going to speak to you in this room you're speaking to me over here just raining on me I want it all Negate the fact that God is speaking in this room, He absolutely is, and He's speaking uniquely in a way here that He can't do anywhere else. But there's some things you're going to find out about God that are going to be as you're walking with Him in the morning, as you're reading His Word, as you're praying. And sometimes, what we do unintentionally is we think public ministry is supposed to fuel private intimacy. But what I've learned is that private intimacy actually fuels public ministry, which is exactly what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, hey, people are walking around and they're hooping and they're, they're hollering and I see the heart at the end of the day. They're gonna get their reward. But when you pray, when you talk to God, This has to become so personal, but when when we pray, when we talk to God, he says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Now in the New Testament, Paul describes our relationship with Jesus as a marriage, not a romantic or weird one in that way, but it's that type of covenantal bond. And uh, I- I'm married to a spicy Latina. If you know, you know. <laughs> All my Latina women said amen. <laughs> Me and my wife, we've been living the vida loca. <laughs> and what I know about my baby girl is, uh, what I know about our marriage is that if I was only acknowledging her publicly, it would mean nothing to her privately. If I only told her I loved her when I was around people or from this platform, it wouldn't mean much because it's coming off more as fake. And if we just think about our relationship with God simplistically, just simply, like, no, 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 don't be religious. Don't be weird. There's no condemnation in God. But if I really want to ask you, like, is your relationship with God far more public than it is private? It's just a good indicator of maybe who he is to you. Is he just someone that you publicly talk about, or is there actually a private relationship? Now, what I know about my wife is that there's things I'm going to tell her in private that I'll never say to people publicly. There's a deeper intimacy privately, there's different conversations that happen behind closed doors that don't happen out in the open. And look at Jesus' language, he calls God the God of secrets. The God who sees in secret. There's a prophet by the name of Elijah. Elijah's a gangster, and the short story is that he's hearing the voice of God, and there's like a tornado that pops off, but God wasn't in the tornado. There's fire that falls. God wasn't in the fire. The earth starts quaking. God wasn't in the quake. And out of this nowhere, again, Old Testament, there's this still, small voice that comes out of the cave, and that's where the voice of God is, a God of secrets, a God who whispers, a God who speaks. And the question that we must ask ourselves as we get ready to conclude is what is the purpose of corporate and private intimacy with God? What does the corporate gathering do? And what does the private gathering do? What is What do we get when we're with God? What gets on us when we're in his presence? What, what happens when each day is dedicated to walking with him and knowing him? What happens when I show up to the gathering? Is it just a fluctuation of emotions? Is it, is it just hype like, oh, that felt good? Is it just feelings? I would submit no. I think, I think that the longer that you're around Jesus, the more likely you are to become like Jesus. And one thing we know about the character of God is that he's a giver. It is within his character to give. It's for this reason that the Jews would reference him as Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He is a giver in nature. This is what God does. He gives. Even Jesus' little brother who was convinced that he was God after he was resurrected. Come on, somebody. I love James. James is like, I don't believe you. Then he got it from the grave. He's like, all right. You might be him. <laughs> Even James had a revelation of his big brother who was fully God and fully man. And he described that God is a giver of wisdom. He said, God gives wisdom generously without finding fault. Like if you read the scriptures, what we see is that God is a giver. It is his nature. He is inherently generous. No genesis or origin to him. He's always been that way and he will forever be that way. God is a giver. And so when we spend time with God, his nature will give us what we don't have. But what is the purpose of him giving to us? Is he giving to us so that we can become spiritually obese and keep it? Or is the purpose of him giving is so that I have been given to, therefore I must give. That my experience with Jesus, both corporately and privately, he's overflowing. Shout out to Pastor Vance and Kim. There's such an overflow of his presence that I can't help but hold on to it. But I need, I got to give it. There is give and there is take. God gives and then we give. We get what God has given us vertically and we give it horizontally, and this is where it becomes really, really good in my opinion. What you don't have, God does. The reason why this is essential is some of you have unhealthy expectations in your marriages for your wife to be God. They can't. There are some things in your life that you're only going to get from God. There are some areas that only God can touch. Now, I want to be very careful in how I say this. I believe in mental health. I believe in counseling. I believe in therapy. I know some stuff is really real, but there are some stuff that even your therapist can't do for you that God can. I'm being very consistent. I'm being careful. I have a counselor. But there are some things that not even your therapist can do. There are some things that not even your confession session as you're on the couch will do for you. There are some things that only God can do. But once again, why is God doing it? Is it only for you? Right, 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 right. Great answer. No. <laughs> Rhetorical. <laughs> is God only doing for you? Doing things for you for for you? Or is this idea of what Pastor Adam was talking about? I love like yo, know, I started losing my mind when Pastor Adam like walked over to this area and he was praying. And he said, oh, we're going to testify. And I about lost my, I went bonkers over here. I said, how? (laughs) I felt the spirit go through my body. (laughs) The reason why I got excited is because God is writing a story of your life that needs to be read. We were was saying, we're going to be a church that testifies. That word testimony means witnesses. No, I've seen God move. up. I've seen God heal. I've seen God redeem. I've seen God restore. I've seen God bring breakthrough. I've seen God heal me of my insecurity. I've seen God take away my anxiety. I've seen God deliver me from my pain. I've seen God deliver me from myself. I've seen God restore my marriage. I've seen too much. And this church is where we begin to see Mountain View in San Jose, in Oakland, in San Francisco, in South Valley, in Rome, in Milan, in Chicago, in Honolulu, in Texas, and more cities to come become transformed as we become the church that testifies. And the testifying happens corporately and privately. It happens corporately and it happens privately. The God who sees. The God who sees. See, some of y'all don't pray because you wonder if God sees you. The God who sees in secret will acknowledge you publicly. in conclusion there's a calling of one of the disciples whose name was nathaniel the bible also calls him bartholomew i really don't know why but that's what it does we don't yeah and in the calling of nathaniel he had this brother named philip and philip experienced jesus like he met jesus and jesus said come and follow me And as he was following Jesus, there was some random break where Jesus is like, hey, we'll pick up tomorrow. He's like, man, I gotta go get my baby. Brother, this is crazy. I love those type of Christians, by the way. Not people who have titles, but people who are just Christians. Like people who know that evangelism, though it is a spiritual gift, we're all called to evangelize. And so his response, his reasonable response to this amazing mom was like i gotta go get my little brother and so he goes he's like yo my man nate dog burt dog what's up man oh yo we we met the messiah (laughs) we 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 met him we we know him it is jesus of nazareth and then what happened is what happens to all of us when we try to evangelize sometimes isn't hystatic Nathaniel isn't hype Nathaniel's like oh amazing have you ever had that where God does something in your world and you go to tell a friend there and they're just like yeah good for you <laughs> this is kind of one of those moments as a matter of fact again this is baby brother he looks at Philip. he's like hey man uh, What good could come from Nazareth? In other words, Jesus being born in Nazareth is like Jesus being born in Hollister. You just wouldn't expect it. Now, I live in Hollister, but you just wouldn't expect it. Oh, he's from Hollister, huh? That's a weird city. You sure? In the outback. Yeah. And what happens is not... An intense dialogue what happens isn't a theological or apologetic debate even though I love that I love apologetics I love theology it's important I wonder if in this moment that Philip is sitting there like oh man this is discouraging my brothers Questioning whether or not I had an authentic experience, and you have to understand contextually there were many false messiahs that came on the scene that claimed to be God. Claimed to be God, and the thing about Nathaniel is that he was a theologian. He was a scholar. He was a studier of the Torah. He was in rabbi training. And so, I imagine Philip sitting there thinking, and he says, "Oh, I know where he is. Come and see. I'll take you to him." And we see in John chapter 1, you can go read it, that when Nathanael is coming toward Jesus, Jesus shouts out, behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And I love, I love Nathanael's response. He says, how do you know me? Other versions, the message is more gangster. They say, you don't know me. And all God says, Jesus, I saw you under the fig tree. Yeah, that sounds profound, but is it? Like I saw you at the car wash. (laughs) And Nathaniel goes from like, you don't know me to, I saw you under the fig tree. You truly are the son of the living God now when we unpack the literal context of this rabbis who were in training during this time one of the first actions that their mentors would give them was find a place that i don't even know about where you spend time with god and so rabbis would young rabbis who were being trained in the torah would go and they would find a secret spot and the reason why they would choose fig trees is because in the desert they have very low, long, extended limbs. And so they would find shade. And so this was a place that no man knew about. This was a place that, that Nathaniel didn't express to anyone. This was a, a place that he met with God privately. And so when Jesus says... I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel says, you're God. This is my third and final conclusion, which means I'm done. Where is Jesus today? Well, He lives in us. We know that. But there is something about this room. There is something when you feel someone can't see what you see, where you say, oh, I know where he is. he's in privacy but he manifests himself different corporately and the reason why the gathering is an evangelizing tool is simplistically because of what i talked about earlier magnification people are feeling experiencing god being so much bigger than they can imagine because hundreds and thousands of people who call vive church home are lifting up the name that is above every name and what would it look like if we were just phillips if we just said hey i'm not going to get into doctrine i'm not going to get into get into theology i'm not afraid of it we need to have a foundation and know why we believe what we believe but i know where jesus is jesus is in his church Jesus is in the church of Jesus Christ and what if we just took some co-workers and some family members and some friends and some literal neighbors and said look come into the house of the Lord find freedom never be the same God saw you in that private moment and then let him do the work let him prophesy let him minister let him restore let him reconcile this is this is the gospel so my job isn't to change my job is to be present my my, my job is not to change my job is to be filled Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't want to miss any of it, I would encourage you go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.